Welcome back to the Lynx Golf Podcast. This is digital editor Al Lunsford with Lynx. And joining me today again, uh, we're happy to have him back. I haven't talked to him uh, in a while, and we both kind of realized, hey, you know what? We never went back and did the last podcast on Dream Nine. So Ryan Aselto is with me again. Ryan, how's it going up where you are? All good, Al. Finishing up the summer, trying to play some golf and, uh, you know, hitting a few par fives, which we're going to talk about today. Excited to do that. Yeah, this was, uh, you know, I think par fours was probably the most difficult of the the series. So we did three fours and fives. And I still thought this one was kind of tough. Par fives, are, there are some that stick out, but not, not quite like par threes do in my mind. So it, it took me a little longer on this list as well, but um, I've got a good set. We already discussed, I think we have one hole that's in common here on both of our lists but let's go ahead and just jump right into it. Everyone kind of knows the deal here. We're, we're talking about a nine-hole layout made up of completely par fives, and it's subjective. We're going to get some blowback. We know this. We've been through this before. You know, maybe some people agree with some holes on these lists and, and hope we hear from you guys about some others. We're going to jump in. We're going to go back-to-back three holes each, and I'm going to let Ryan start on his list what is the first par five hole on your dream nine par fives? Yeah, yeah I agree that the par fives are, are fun now because so many different things can happen, right? I mean, it, you can make a birdie very easily. There's that eagle that once in a blue moon, guys like us get, but it can happen on those par fives. But also the par fives can blow up pretty quickly for the couple bad swings and all of a sudden you got a seven or an eight on your scorecard. So uh, a lot of memorable par fives in my mind. I'm going to start with the third hole at True North on the Monument course. Played that a, a bunch of years ago. Really one of my favorite courses in the desert, in the Arizona desert. This hole, it's been photographed a lot. You see this gigantic boulder in the center of the fairway. And the story behind it is when Tom Weisskopf was designing the course, they had these granite boulders, you know, a lot of movement, a lot of land being moved around. And Weisskopf, this thing was so big, they just said, Let's leave it and make it part of the hole. And it's literally dead center of the fairway. So your tee shot, you got to decide left of Boulder or right of Boulder. Um, you don't want to go right at it because you end up, you can end up under it. You can end up right next to it and blocked out for your second shot. Uh, it's my my version of Flintstone golf. It's that big uh, and just the mark. You think about this hole, that Boulder, that's one of the big memories you leave uh, True North on the Monument course. So that was my first one. Uh, have, my you hit, one have you hit it? Have you hit the Boulder with a I shot? Was just left of Boulder and... It played a role in my shot, though. I had a little bit of look, but I had to, you know, I had to play around it. I had to play a little bit of a cut on my second shot to make sure, one, I didn't hit it and <laughs> ricochet right back at me. Yeah. Uh, and two, just give me a chance to keep it in play and get back in there and set up my third shot. So it plays a role. And, you know, if you aim right and miss, you're in the, the wash and the cactus. If you aim left and miss, you're the same same problems. And it gets a little longer over there. So you got to kind of cut it a little bit close to the boulder and it's, it's daunting. You stare yeah. up at tee and there's the gigantic prehistoric rock staring you saying, hit it this way, but don't hit it right here. Not at me. Yeah. So, well, uh, that would be my approach to that hole would be aim right at it. And then, you know, you're not, you're not going to hit it. 
you, so, if you aim right at the, the spot you don't want to hit. So true. Yeah. If you, right. If you give us a target 250 yards out in the middle of the fairway, a hundred times, how many times would we actually hit it? <laughs> exactly. Not many, right? <laughs> right. Um, so my second hole is a beast. It's the uh, first par five at Bethpage Black, which is uh, the fourth hole, 517 yards. This is classic Tillinghast all over the place. Uh, he, he plays mind games with you with your sight lines off the tee. It's kind of a double dog leg. And then what, what separates this hole are, are these massive glacier bunkers that stretch across. And it, it plays a role in your, your tee shot, your second shot, even your third shot. The bunkering is just you see that much sand out there that you have to carry. And you know uh, it stretches uphill most of the way. And you know if I get stuck in one of those, like we mentioned, the big number, it's available on this hole. Um, and, and the hardest part even, you know, you play the whole hole avoiding the bunkers and then your approach to the green and it's got this green where it's kind of almost a blind tee shot. You can see the pin and you land the green from pretty far out too, because it's a long hole. It's tough to stop it. It slopes from, from front to back. And I remember landing the green on a good shot in and it just shot right off the, the, the green rolled off the back. And then you're chipping back onto this green off of a, a tight lie Every test that Tillinghast would want in a hole, it kind of gives it to you uh, at number four at Bethpage. Um, have you ever played it, Al? No, but uh, I just knowing the state of my chipping game in particular, it doesn't. I I would be putting maybe from some of these these spots unless I'm sitting down and then, you know, I'm gonna have to to suck it up and and see what I can do, but. Yeah, it gives me anxiety, like, hearing you describe this hole to me. Yeah, it's one of those holes, too. I always compare Bethpage. You kind of you take your punches throughout the day. This is the, you know, the first couple holes are light body blows. This is the first uppercut that Bethpage swings at you, and um, you could feel it. it. It could leave a mark if you don't uh, pick your spots and carry those bunkers and land the green on the right spot. So one of the more difficult par fives on my list. My third one to get going may be my favorite uh, that I've played out, and that's the 13th at Augusta National. When you get back to the tee box, which has, I think, been extended at this point in, in 2020, but from when I did it a few years ago, back in 16, you get to a part of the course where I just had this moment looking out and saying, you know, it, no one really gets out here. This is This is sacred land. Only members, guests, and players in the masters ever get to stand in this spot because it's an area where the galleries and the patrons don't get to during the masters. It's all roped off. So that's one thing that just sticks out how special that is. And then my experience here, I, you know, I, I ripped a driver and I ended up in the pine straw on the right. And um, it's the picture I posted with, with the story on the dream nine. I was still very close to where Phil Mickelson was from his famous shot where Phil just decided to go for it out of the pine straw back uh, in 2010, I think it was. And I said to my caddy, I'm like, hey, what would Phil do, right? Phil went for it. So I went for it. <laughs> and unfortunately for me, it didn't work out. I pulled a hybrid out of the pine straw, pulled it a little bit left, and it ran into Ray's Creek. Um, ended up making an eventual bogey, but I couldn't live with myself if I hadn't given it a rip from there. And I figured, too, if there was one body of water on Augusta that it was okay to hit into, it was probably Race Creek. So uh, 
I was okay with that bogey on 13. If you looked back on your round, if you hadn't hit that shot, would you would you even remember playing that hole? Right. Uh, you probably you probably would, but uh, maybe you might not hold the same sort of fondness and have a good story to tell. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you never know. Right. Right, right, right. Definitely, definitely a memory of, of being in those pine straw. I don't know if it would, <laughs> would it have been exciting if I was center of the fairway. Probably not. Yeah, just a, another ho hum shot on the gun smash. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll give my list a start here. Um, the first hole that I have was a, a course I played recently, so the recency bias is it's creeping back in again for me. But it's the, actually the first hole at Tobacco Road. Um, in Sanford, North Carolina, uh, the Mike Strands playground. And it's kind of a, you know, a sign of things to come. And, but also, um, you really don't know what you're getting yourself into off this first tee because you've got these massive sand mounds that were left there, but basically Strands blew a hole right in the middle of them. So you have this little strip of, you know, it's probably off the tee, it looks like much less, but it's probably 20 or 30 yards worth of fairway that you can see uh, between the mounds. And that's that's kind of your playing line right there. And you're advised to just hit it and, and trust it um, that there is fairway there. And you see it once you get past it. But it's just like a it's just a fun like strap in, you know, get ready for a round like you've never played before type of shot. Uh, and just watch your ball disappear behind the mounds and not know like what's going to happen next. I, it's a really cool, cool way to start a golf course. I think I, let's see, I hit a good drive, but I ended up three putting because those greens were slicker than I had anticipated them being. Uh, but that was a fun hole. I've heard yeah. so much about Tobacco Road. You got to help me get uh, over there. Maybe next, you know, I go to Pinehurst each year, so maybe on my on my way into Pinehurst, I can pay a visit to back to Tobacco Road. It's kind of seems like one of those it's known about, but a little uh, a little bit under the radar because of some of its neighbors, maybe. Yeah, and a little mysterious and, yeah. and kind of off the beaten path. But it's I mean, you're talking about a 15, 20 minute drive from the middle of Pinehurst. So I think you should absolutely include that one um, on your to do list next yeah. time. OK. All right. Second hole on my list is uh, the sixth hole at Pebble Beach. And I know we've got another, uh, potentially another hole coming up from Pebble on your list, but uh, I like the sixth. So we're, we're talking about uh, the shot. And, and for me, I have a fondness for it from trying to reach it into on video games and then trying to reach it on into in real life didn't work out quite the same I'm, it turns out a better video game golfer than i am a real golfer but uh to be ashamed of <laughs> yeah. but that's kind of the beginning of a little iconic stretch of holes at pebble beach six seven and eight seven obviously the bar three towards the water um but six is a good hole it's you know, pretty straightforward drive and a lot of room uh, left. And your second shot is where you kind of have to make a decision to you can go for it. You cannot see the green on this one either on your second shot. And it doesn't require a huge shot, but it requires a high shot. You've got to kind of play it up or else you could you can end up hitting into the face of this hill. All the while, there's a massive drop off of because you're on a cliff, basically on the Pacific Ocean um, to your right. So the ideal shot there is kind of a cut towards the green, a little right of 
of where you're looking, but always in the back of your mind is is you don't want to flail it out and, and lose lose a ball to the the deep blue sea. Fun, fun, fun hole and, and gettable. Um, but yeah, it really sets sets a good stage for the next little rotation there. I'd say this one is one of my favorite holes to watch on television during the, the AT&T Pro-Am and, and when the U.S. Open's been there, seeing the guys go for it in two. And it just seems like they're always running it up to the hole, which is tough. Like you said, with that that cliff in front of you, you still got to get the ball fairly high in the air. Uh, and then the guys seem to be running it up and then getting it to stop at that point. I love seeing those approach shots uh, mm-hmm. on six. What a, what a breathtaking hole. You have to hit it impossibly high to land it on the green. Yeah. Because you're hitting it high already, and then so, like, the angle, when it's arcing down, it's already hitting the ground way quicker than it would um, on your average shot. So, yeah, I can see I can see how that would play out in the yeah. tournament. Uh, and then my third hole on this list is a hole that I'm looking forward to playing, hopefully here in October, um, and, and it's the first par five at Pacific Dunes, the third hole. Um, which I hear is is just an introduction into the rest of the day as well. Kind of a a tee perched up and on a vista that that gives you a view, and you're heading out towards the Pacific Ocean on that one too. Having not played Bandon, it's it sounds like one of those holes that you realize where you're at once you get there, mm. and and it and it makes for a memorable trip. Yeah, I, I think there's, that's that's such a great point when you get, especially when you're on a, on a trip and you, you travel out. Bandon is on my bucket list, but it's all you know, it's 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 a trek for us on the East Coast, and it's also uh, a little tricky to get out there as far as travel. And you're right, I think when you get to a hole on a trip like that, there's a moment where you say, okay, this is why I came out here. This mm-hmm. is was worth the travel, the hours, the money spent. And just looking at the hole, I mean, it seems like you can see the ocean from 75% of, of the hole from the tee box, which is, which is amazing uh, looking out. So is that said, are you, are you abandoned bound in October? Yes. Yeah, so this is a trip that we had to reschedule. Um, originally, we we're supposed to go in June and things things changed there so uh we we're gonna go i think the last week of october is what we have slated right now and we're gonna golf our faces off while we're there and just enjoy every minute of it i'm sure oh i'm jealous i'll just live through you i'll look at your pictures and i'll read your your story about your experience (laughs) and eventually i'll get there one day sounds good all right i'm moving on uh here's my next three al um my next one is the 18th hole at Sabonic Golf Club, which is out uh, in the Hamptons on the east end of Long Island. Uh, Jack Nicholas, Tom Dope design. And um, I tell you, I, I, there was a stretch one year where I played Sabonic one week. I played National Golf Links the next. And then a year or two later, I had a chance to play Shinnecock. And I just thought Sabonic was so underrated when it comes to those courses. Now, obviously, there's the history of the other, the other two that I mentioned out in the Hamptons. And Sabonic is a, a, you know, a newer course. Um, it doesn't have the, the track record or the history. But it did host a, a big event. The U.S. Women's Open was there. And um, some spectacular holes. The 18th hole was actually supposed to be a par four. Doak and Nicholas wanted it to be a par four finisher. The owner of the golf course insisted on it being a par five. He just liked Finishing on a par five, he thought it led to more drama, probably more action when it comes to 
you know, your golf bets finishing up and your matches. So they made it a par five. The owner says so. You do what the owner says, right? But it, it's on th- this cliff overlooking uh, Great Peconic Bay, which is on the left-hand side. Water running the entire way up the left. So your, your tee shot left is dead. Um, and you need, though, to keep it up the left side of the fairway uh, because you've got what they call a coffin bunker stretching across from the right side. And you have to carry that on your second shot. So it, it's a precise tee shot. And as great as your day at Sabonic may have been, it could go to waste on 18 because it's such a difficult hole, even if it's a, you know, maybe a shorter par five if you play up, but uh, you finish right up near the, near the clubhouse with the water on the left and, and just a spectacular end to the day out in the Hamptons. So uh, that's, that's definitely one that's tops on my list. Yeah. I haven't played really any golf in that area of the country and I've, I've really only learned like more and more about it uh, once I got here with links and that looks like a quality quality golf course it doesn't get the respect either because it's because it's new and you know it's it's a lot of old money out in the hamptons and historic you know classic golf courses that are there but sabonic it's it's up there with them i know i get killed when i say that but you know, it, it is is up there with the big boys. My next one is down in your neck of the woods, and it's a course I haven't played, but I caddied uh, a few times, and that's the 15th hole at Mid Pines down in North Carolina. As you know, I caddy each year for my boys in the U.S. Kids Golf World Championships, and my younger son played Mid Pines for a couple years, and I just really liked 15, a very strategic hole, a shorter par five. You know, playing it back, it only is about it's under 500 yards from back there. Donald Ross playing tricks on you like he usually does, which, you know, you get to mid pines, you feel the history, uh, the old clubhouse, you walk through the pictures on the wall, the rug looks like it may be from 1920 itself in the hallways there, but it just adds to the the feel of mid pines. And 15 is tricky because the entire fairway slopes right to left pretty drastically. So you've got to hit the right side of the fairway with your drive and let it funnel down a little bit. And then you've got decision to go for it in two or to lay up. But either whether you're going for it in two or you're you're hitting it with a wedge on your third shot, you've got to be precise because, as you know, played many Donald Ross courses, you've got to hit your spots on the greens. Otherwise, you just you roll to places unknown. And that's where Ross protects his courses. That's why mid pines can stand the test of time, even being a shorter course, because it takes precision off the tee and on your approach and you got to know where those greens move. I knew because we played so many rounds there and I was in full caddy mode, which I think helped my son out. But um, if I was playing for the first time there, I would need some local knowledge because you don't know where to hit these spots unless someone from, you know, the, the, the Southern Pines area gives you a little bit of inside info. So I, I think you've played mid pines Al. Yes. Yes, it's one of my favorite courses okay. in the Pinehurst area. And I recently recently played there on that Pinehurst trip I went on and in our, we call it the uh, Slice Tournament. Um, so a good friend of mine that I grew up with, that went to college with, uh, created this championship. Slice is an acronym. It stands for Some Lousy Invitational Championship Event. And it's six years running. Scott Gunn. Uh, is is the man uh, who puts that tournament together. But this hole, I went back and looked at your list. We were playing match play, and this freaking hole right here, 
first of all, you you can't see. You can see the elevation changes and the hills and the little subtleties in the greens, but you can't see it yeah. until you're standing on it. Um, so I played a good good drive here, right side fairway, and and I was in a position. We were two up uh, going into this hole in our match, uh, so I wanted to. I didn't want to lose one with a three wood and and give up a lead here, but with the two guys we were playing against. First of all, one of them has a stroke and hits hits the ball dead straight, 300 yards. So the chances of him getting on in two oh, are pretty good. You love that on every par five. Um, but the other guy's a good player, and he loses his shot left. So you're going back towards that uh, 13th, the par three is basically on the tee box of 14 and 13 green. So we're like, all right, he's dead. The other guy hits it long and of the green in two, hits it past the green. So we think we're sitting good. Then the guy who was in left off the tee hits a ridiculous shot, lands like, you know, has an approach 30 yards short of the green, chips up, makes a birdie putt. Wow. With a stroke, so it wouldn't have mattered anyways. And we we go on to actually end up losing the next three holes. Oh, it all began. You got bad that's where That's where it started. So I, I do love... I love mid pines. I loved this hole, uh, but it's it's a sore spot for me. All right, I'll time. try not to bring it up too much. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, my last of this stretch of three is also out on the Hamptons. That's the 18th hole at National Golf Links of America. I, I don't want to. I talked about Subonic, and I certainly don't want to take anything away from the National because it's 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 rich in history. You cannot help it. It just kind of something aura takes over you when you pull up and you see the clubhouse and you see the big windmill and, you know, CB McDonald and Seth Rayner, you know, this thing over a hundred years old sitting, uh, you know, atop the Shinnecock Hills, looking out on, on the Bay out in the Hamptons. Um, you know, I was there probably going on seven years ago, just before the Walker cup was played there, um, and got a good taste of it. And, you know, the 18th hole is called home. Uh, cause you're, you're on your way home at that point and you've got the, the bay is on your right. So I, I just love holes like that, that are, that are set on the water courses on the water. And then you finish with just that setting of water on one side, the massive historic clubhouse sitting atop the hill, the gigantic flagpole whipping in the wind. In the golf, the shots are almost secondary to what you're looking at as you come up the hill and finish in the shadows of the windmill, which is which is just tremendous. It's the perfect finishing hole, really. I mean, I like, I love uphill finishers where the clubhouse is in sight and any other you know scenic aspect of the golf course is within your view. And it kind of, it's the culmination, right? It's the culmination of your entire round, and it's all right there in one hole. So, very very special spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, looks like it in pictures for sure. All right, so turning back to mine, another recent hole I played, also Pinehurst area. Uh, it's a cradle of American golf for a reason, people. <laughs> but the uh, the tenth hole, par five tenth at Pinehurst number two, uh, is one of my favorite holes. Just just having finished your front nine, where you probably took some lumps there. The ninth hole is such a classic par three there at number two. Um, but the tenth is is coming back. It's a gettable hole as well. Um, what I really liked about it, though, was where it finishes. And now you've got in Pinehurst, they've constructed the nest as their new uh, halfway house, 
kind of situated there between 10 at, at number two and then like number f- the fifth hole and ninth hole you can see of Piner's number four and it's a it's a lovely way to to continue your round there have yourself a woodpecker cocktail uh, <laughs> and and take a moment to to take it all in uh, before you you keep keep on your journey there but i just love that hole Probably because I birdied it last time I played it too. Yeah, of course, right? I had a different experience on that hole. I love the hole. I, I agree. It's kind of a gentle par five for, for number two. Number two is not gentle as a whole, but that hole. Um, but that day I began my round on 10. Uh, they had they had okay. a few of us going out early in the morning out on 10. So the cocktail really wasn't an option at that point because it was 8 a.m. <laughs> and we were starting on that hole, but it was a nice way to get introduced for me into number two. It got a lot harder after that, but uh, I remember I remember number 10 and I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's kind of like a, the hole speaks to you almost. It's like, hey, it's okay. Like, you know, th- those first nine holes, like, Relax. they were tough, you know, but you're going to, here we go. We're coming back strong on the yeah. end. And then, boom, like, not today. Yeah. We're going to keep hitting you. So, <laughs> so it was a nice little breath uh, before you, you get back going on number two. And next hole there for me is the 16th hole at TPC Sawgrass. This one is, I think, just overshadowed by the two holes that follow it. But, uh, but what a great hole, especially getting the chance to walk the holes in this tournament. When I got to, I, I just in particular 16 was like, wow, this is just a very underrated, great hole. A lot of moments, a lot of iconic moments there. Remember Webb Simpson made a gigantic putt there on 16 uh, when he won the players. But um, it's your it's your high risk, you know, decent reward type of par five. I think you got to be precise on that second shot. Just you got to be precise with every shot at TPC Sawgrass. But um, there's little margin for error there at the 16th. And there's also that little overhanging tree right before you get to the green um, that just adds another little wrinkle in um, for you to think about. Yeah. Uh, as if as if you weren't your mind wasn't already racing trying to consider where your ball is going to end up on that hole to begin yeah. with. I think it's an underrated hole at, at Sawgrass, and I think um, so many so much excitement has started um, on that hole. You know, if, if a guy who's trying to make a charge gets home in two, then you know they're pumped up because they know the possibilities. Eagles in play. You got the excitement of 17 looming over it in the atmosphere of 17, which spills over onto 16. Um, and it can really make a charge. 16, 17, 18. That's where the tournament uh, could essentially be won. I walked that hole uh, not last year, the year before um, on a Wednesday. Practice rooms going on. It was late in the day, so everyone was kind of done, and I kind of just scored it out and went over by the tee box. And I was amazed that how tough that tee shot is. It, it's narrow. You really have to hit your spot because if you're out of position on your tee ball, you're getting home in two is, is nearly impossible with the water laying right and the bunker left and the tree. So they have to be so precise on their tee shot. It just, it's just, it's amazing when you, when you see the hole and then think about how many guys do get home in two there, it just shows how good the pros are at what they do because it is a difficult, difficult hole. Yeah, you get the sense watching the tournament right there when you start that hole is is where it's anything can happen type of territory. Yep. Um, so it's pretty cool. Uh, 
Uh, my last one uh, before I hand it back to you, and I know we're on a time crunch, so I'll keep it keep it light, keep it brief. Uh, the seventh hole at Mammoth Dunes, which I just got back from Sand Valley this week, and so another another recent hole that I'm just pulling from. But gosh, Mammoth Dunes and and Sand Valley is just ridiculous. I've never been anywhere like that up in Wisconsin. David McClay kid gives you generous landing areas off the tee and, and seven's no different. Uh, what was cool about this hole and they're all kind of gettable par fives, but this one right in front of the green, there's this bunker uh, and it has a little sign on it. You can't see it from the tee, but once you get up, uh, the sign reads enter at own risk. Uh, that's because in the bunker uh, is this stone wall, which is the foundation of an old house that they found when they were building wow. the course. And it opened in 2018, so it's relatively recent. But instead of getting rid of it, they decided, you know what, let's let's keep that there and and make it kind of a, a iconic little marker for the course. Um, so I've seen guys try to hit out of it. I did not try to hit out of it just because I didn't want the ball coming back and and ripping me a new one on the chance I bladed one right into the wall. But uh, it's a funny little visual and you, you are allowed free relief. If you do hit it in there, they're not going to make you hit that shot, but it's just kind of a cool little thing that there's, there's little, little subtleties at that resort that stick out to you. uh, If you ever get the chance to go there. Yeah, I haven't. Uh, I, I would love to get there someday. It, it, great use of the word in naming the, the course Mammoth because it just it just is Mammoth when you look at some of the pictures and photos. I can only imagine what it's like in person. And uh, Mammoth Dunes, Mammoth Bunkers too. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. what it looks like um, in some of the photos that I've been looking at. But hopefully I can get up there and, uh, and visit one day. All right, the I'll, logo is, of course, a woolly mammoth. Of course. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Um, all right. I'll finish with my three, um, my three, I guess I'm my finishing trio, uh, here. Uh, the first one is of course I've never played and that's Kings Barnes in, in Scotland, the 12th hole, 606 yards. Um, and when you did it, when I did a little research into the hole and looked into it, this is a hole I'd love to play someday. I guess it's considered a, a modern Cape hole with um, water running up the entire left side, including right up near the tee box. Um, I, I kind of compare it almost to Scotland's version of Sabonic. It's a newer golf course, a newer links layout. It opened in 2000, so it doesn't get the respect as uh, many of the other iconic links layouts. But it's certainly, if we fast forward 40 years from now, I think it's going to be up there with, with, with some of the best of them. And it, it's one of those plenty of room, but you got to put it in the right place to get that room is, is that water looming on the left-hand side. And it, it just kind of, it plays tricks on you. It's got a, a super long green, 65 yard long green. So the option to go for two is there and you could kind of run it up and have a little room if it rolls up the front and out up the back. But of course you've got water the entire way up the left side uh and you've got bunkers playing tricks on you on the other side so it's a narrow long green so going for an two is very very risky it appears but um really a course that might be you know one of my modern par fives uh in scotland that you don't i mean you don't see tons of new courses sprouting up in scotland because there's so many great uh historic old ones but this one is on my list hopefully i can get out there one day great looking hole one of my dad's favorite courses when he played there um, for what that's worth. All right. It is worth something. I'm taking Mr. Lunsford's <laughs> word for it and maybe getting out there. So that would be a plan. 
My next one is the 18th hole at Pebble Beach. I, I know we go through this every time. I haven't been to Pebble Beach yet. I will get there. But I felt uh, irresponsible not having this hole on my list, seeing um, the drama that unfolds on 18 during the Pebble Beach Pro-Am and, and the U.S. Open over the years. And I just love, you know, there's a theme here. I love having that water, that ocean up the entire length of, of a finishing hole. We talked about it um, at, at uh, Saponic. We've talked about it at National Golf Links. Kings Barns are not a finishing hole, but um, obviously the water up the side there. And the strategy, yes, you have to hit the, the, the precise tee shot because of the, the, the cypress tree, right? That that plays such a role. If one tree, I don't know if one tree plays more of a role and how a hole is played than the, the cypress, uh, the 70 foot cypress on the 18th at Pebble Beach. And then there's just the water left, but there's really no room to bail out. If you're going to bail out on that second shot and go for it, you end up in those little mounds, this tree over there, you're not in a good spot. So I just had to have this on my list. The drama, still water comb on your left. And, and, and another one that culminates your entire round at one of the greatest golf courses in the world. Yeah. It's just fun. You know, you, you kind of think back about the course you just played when you're on that tee and, you know, you got one more left in. Yes. Yeah, so make it a good one. I got a good one. You mentioned the word fun and this may be the, uh, uh, the funnest golf hole that I've ever played. And that's the 18th hole at, uh, the plantation course at Kapalua. Um, I know you've played it. it it's just, you get to that tee box, you look out downhill, right to left, ocean in the distance, uh, those massive pine trees, and you can just rip it. And you know if you just rip a drive, it's going to roll for days and give you a chance to get home in two. We've seen the drama unfold, you know, at, at the Tournament of Champions every year there on this hole. They thought it was last year they continued to play it in the playoff over and over and over again. It's so much fun. I, I ripped a good drive, rolled down the, the left center side, had to give it a go in two and ripped a pretty good one, ended up rolling up just short and right. And then at that point, you're in great shape. You got to you gotta be precise with your, your chip. And I chipped it to three or four feet and I was able to roll in my birdie putt. So it left a mark. And that's what these holes are about, right? Creating that that memory that you leave the golf course from and, and the panoramic views, the, the feel of being on um, the island of Maui and finishing on that hole is just so much fun. It's, it's, it's one of my favorite holes in all of golf and certainly one of my favorite par fives. I agree. And that's why I had this one on my list as well. This was our crossover hole and it's impossibly long. It feels like when you get to this hole, it's over 600 yards and you're like, what, what am I doing? Am I playing from the, the tips? Have I been playing the pro tees all day? And it's like, no, you don't need, it's a hole that you can still get because you don't realize how far down essentially the side of a volcano that you're hitting the shot back towards the ocean. And it's, it's just so cool, so serene and, and surreal. You know that there's been a pro tournament there too. It's such iconic finishing hole. So, okay, so I said they were all finishing holes, and this one is actually the 16th at uh, Shinnecock Hills. This hole it, uh, is another beast of a hole, and it's, it's one I've seen a lot in pictures. Uh, because you've got that shot looking back up towards the clubhouse on the hill and the big yeah. American flag, and it's just kind of a majestic-looking hole. It's, it seems like there's, I don't know, maybe I've only seen different 
angles of pictures where it looks like it's just only golf out there. Clubhouse, golf course, and that's it. And am I right about that? Straight bathroom shed. That's it. <laughs> yeah. So it just looks it looks wild. And I know how everyone talks about how great that course is, and so that's one I would I would love to play someday. Yeah, one of my favorites at Shinnecock. That looking back up to the clubhouse with the flags yeah. blowing in the wind and the 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 wisping, uh, you know, the seagrass and the the heather and the bunkers, and it's it's the perfect Shinnecock hole. You nailed it. The last hole on my list is going to be the finishing hole at Mission Hills Country Club, the Dinah Shore course, where they hold the ANA Inspiration, uh, the LPGA's first major championship of the year each year. And this hole, I got the chance to view in person a few times at that major. Um, and of course, it ends by the green with Poppy's Pond right there next to the green. It's where the winner of the tournament in celebratory uh, traditional fashion will jump into the pond with their caddy and their their loved ones there uh, upon winning the tournament. But this hole, I got the chance to really, uh, I got the chance to walk in. I got the chance to, to see a lot of how it could be played, uh, especially a few years ago when Pernilla Lindbergh won the ANA Inspiration. Eight playoff holes it took. Uh, and so they played this hole, her and, and NB Park, uh, were the two left standing at the end of the playoffs that had to go into the next day, but they played this hole over and over again, and, and no one could quite edge the other one out. Um, they both make birdie, they both make par, um, and just kept going back and forth, and eventually we ran out of daylight there, and they actually had to finish the tournament the next day, but that 18th uh, is is electric. It's also 636 yards from all the way back there, so... To get there in two is no small feat. Uh, just a really cool, again, another cool finishing hole, finishing number 18, and love a par five to finish. You know, it's fun doing these, Al, and I, I leave these podcasts and these conversations about these Dream Nines. Two thoughts. One, I have to play more golf <laughs> when I just think about where I've played and where I want to play. Two is we need to tee it up at one of these holes at some point that are on our Dream Nine list so we can kind of you know, live this together in person because you know, these conversations just get the mind, the golf mind going and the dream of the dream nine going in my head. And, uh, you know, we got to do it one of these days, man. One of these days we'll, we'll, we'll get out there. I don't hate that idea, Ryan. I don't hate it at all. I think he, I think he owned something there. So I'll take you up on it when you want. All right. We can get together. I'm looking forward to it. Um, sorry, I'm, I took too much of your time. I couldn't help myself talking about well, these. When the, com- when the topic and the conversation is this good, you know, time, you run out of time quickly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again for joining me. Uh, that wraps up our Dream 9. Until they build a bunch of par 2s or a bunch of par 6s somewhere, we're going to have to keep dreaming and, and maybe revisit this list sometime down the road. But uh, let us know your thoughts and uh, me and Ryan will for sure keep dreaming. Thank you for listening. Uh, thanks again, Ryan. All right. Thanks, Al.